Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Anniken Fjellberg here. Anniken is an accidental entrepreneur, and she means that collaboration is the new competition. What do you mean by that, Anniken? Well, <laughs> it's a sentence that doesn't really make any sense. But what I mean by that, or what we mean by that, is that we come from a history of competition the, the last, uh, well, maybe... 50 years, we've been more and more commercial. And um, we see a switch now from having fierce competition to a much higher degree of collaboration in all our societies today. And so this trend is a very healthy one. And personally, I come from the, the communications industry, advertising and design and branding and so on. And um, the reason why I changed my career was actually because I was so tired of competing with even my colleagues that I wanted to create a place where we actually had collaboration instead of competition. For me personally, it's been a, a blessing because you liberate a lot of energy when you focus on collaboration instead of how you can beat your competitors. And that energy I spend on thinking constructive thoughts and ideas on how to collaborate with people to make even greater results, which is a much, you know, you, you liberate creativity that way. Mm-hmm. So it's been a boost in my life. I'm much happier now work-wise than I used to be. Yeah, and I guess the results are also accordingly because that normally happens when you're kind of relaxed and come from a positive place. You always produce better results. Yes, you do. And the paradox is that it's actually uh, you need some guts in order to make that shift when everyone is used to competing. Or it's not that people necessarily are only focusing on competition, but when when you're measured only on results, for instance, financial results or how to become the best in your group, your team, your company, I don't know, that tends to create more fear than creativity. Fear of not reaching your goals or not being good enough. And I think to focus on what you can accomplish with your team, and these are no new thoughts, but it's maybe a little bit new to focus so much that we do on it uh, in the startup industry and in the creative industries that I work in. And so um, I think the liberation of creativity that is led to in our hub or or space has really been um, proven by the amount of people that wants to to sit in our proximity and to be part of our culture. What is your passion? What do you feel are your your dreams right now? Well, I have many. (laughs) (laughs) I think so, yes. (laughs) This actually was a big dream for me Uh, back in 2010 when I when I chose to leave the company I had founded 10 years earlier within a great group of Norwegian um, communication uh, agencies. My dream was to work like I do today and to do it in an environment that was uh, focusing on this kind of culture. So in 2012, I was part of actually co-creating such a space and we called it 657 Oslo 
because it's situated in Oslo and we started out with 657 square meters, so <laughs> hence the name. Mm-hmm. But it rapidly grew because this was something that many people in the creative industries that we actually started this space for because that's where we come from. Many people wanted this in their business lives as well. So today, four years later, we have two and a half thousand square meters and we count 200 people in our space divided by in or into 85 companies. So there is actually a huge pull in the market for these kind of spaces that focus on different way of working. So that's proof enough for me that it wasn't only my dream, it was many other people's dreams as well. And do you uh, collaborate as well? Or I mean, is it the same type of companies, sectors, or is it the people well, who are we, sitting there? No, we are, 657 is a space for the creative industries. So we have people from many different niches of the industries. We have people that are app developers. We have designers and copywriters. We have advertising people and journalists, photographers. We have illustrators and even actors and radio people. We have industrial designers. And I could go on and on because the creative industries consists of actually 11 different industries. So um, it's a very varied space with a lot of competency, and we do collaborate uh, with each other most of the time, I would say, because we have in our staff, we have four people who uh, work full-time only to create and sustain a high level of collaboration between our members and to create that community feeling, the sense of culture that is, you know, uh, who we are. And the co-workers are part of creating this. So it's uh, really amazing to witness how it evolves. Turning back to your, your life, I mean, what, what turning points do you feel you have influenced you the most? Well, it's a mixture of, um, of working experiences and also personal experiences. And since I'm a dream seeker, I've always enjoyed working and I can work very hard to obtain my goals. So the periods that I learn the most are often the toughest periods in my life. And so far, that has been being an entrepreneur without actually planning to be one. You said initially that I was an accidental entrepreneur, and that's something I call myself because I never Mm -hmm. thought that I would be an entrepreneur. Um, It was just that I was... I was good at what I was doing in my late 20s. I was a branding expert back then as well. And I was approached by two different advertising agencies that really wanted a design agency in their portfolio with a question whether I would start a design agency and they would help me get started. So eventually I did because by the second time I was approached, I, I realized that I, I didn't want to let that chance go by. But I thought it was a really, it was a stretch and it was something I never conceived doing. So I remember the first couple of years where um, I had a lot of fear and I was in my early uh, 30s. So I had really young children and uh, yeah, I really did feel the the pain of growing fast and of not feeling good enough and fear of not producing the results that I was, you know, saying that I would and all the things that all of us, I guess, go through yeah. in the beginning of our careers when we uh, make a leap. Also, after a few years in my later 30s, I got divorced and my father passed away and things like that. That happens in many people's lives as well. That is part of shaping you to who you become. And 
and how you choose to deal with those circumstances. And in a way, that also made me realize how much I can support or what I can sustain. So um, fear became less present after that period because when what you fear the most actually happens, it has happened. There's no nothing more to fear in a way. <laughs> so that's when I really made the big jump and left the group that I was being an entrepreneur within and, and I went solo. So I, I got to test my abilities to really just sustain myself all alone and that went very well. And, and from there on, I had a platform to, to build something bigger. Do you have any advice for people who have maybe not gone through so much and, and therefore didn't meet the worst fears of their lives yet, but, uh, you know, when fear comes and knocks on your door, how do you handle it? What should they do? Well, there are many. First of all, there are many techniques, actually, that, that you can use. There is um, maybe the most important thing is to befriend your fear, to realize that your fear is actually there just to help you. And sometimes it gets distorted. For instance, I can notice sometimes that what I want the most, I can have a lot of fear about. So to me, actually, fear has become a navigator that when I feel really uncomfortable, I know that I need to seek out that discomfort because it's actually something that I should look into. It, it's probably something that I would really enjoy doing. And of course, there is a difference between real fear and fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So if there, is, <laughs> if there is a real reason for why you should not do something, you will fear it as well. But most people know the difference between fear of some, we call it fear of greatness and real fear of something dangerous. So, of course, you should not do dangerous things, but to follow your dreams, even if they're scary, has become my mantra. So mm. if something is scary, I tend to really want to do it. Mm. So that's a, like a recipe for rapid growth. Mm. Yeah, really. And, and technically, just breathe. I mean, we stop breathing when we become afraid, and if you become aware enough of when you stop breathing and you just continue breathing, you can actually stand in a lot of different, really, um, yeah, fearful situations. And you'll just, uh, it'll be okay. Yeah, breathing is life, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of crucial. (laughs) But we stop it sometimes. It's it's weird. Yeah. What is the ultimate long-term formula for companies and organizations? I think that changes all the time. And these days with the disruption and all these buzzwords um, flying around us, um, I do think that flexibility and collaboration and ability to change is crucial mm-hmm. because if you don't, um, you'll be you know, stiff as a bone and you'll break. Somebody else is more flexible than you and will adapt more rapidly or in a better way to changing environments. So that's very important. I'm not saying that everyone should be disruptive. That's not possible. But we need to be flexible enough to adjust to the changing environments. I also think that the companies that take good care of people and society will have a longer and a better life than companies who don't. So that's basically being values-driven, that you are a company that remembers who you're actually creating value for, and um, the old-fashioned, only money-driven companies, they already have outplayed their role, I think. 
But it's, it's funny how things take time. The planet is totally off balance when it comes to um, dividing the values we have on this planet between the inhabitants. Mm. So even though corporations are changing their focus over to being more values-driven and working on their sustainability strategies and CSR and all of this, we actually need to address the unfairness of the few, few, few people on this planet that holds most, actually, of the capital and the resources that we have and they, that they do not share with the rest of the population on the, on the planet. That's bizarre to me. And mm. um, we haven't come there yet, but we must because that's, that's the... Um, I think that's the most harmful thing that we are facing now, the huge unjustment or lack of justice that exists between people. Do you have, you know, some kind of a, a couple of companies or at least one that you admire on distance that you think are just doing all the right things so far? Or is there such a company, you think? But there are, absolutely, and many more than I know of. So the shift has started to happen, and it has happened on a corporate level, or it is happening on a corporate level. You also have some very, very wealthy individuals that have started to, to share their wealth with, um, with societies. But I think when it comes to innovation and disruption and, and sharing of knowledge, and that's why I have this collaboration is the new competition statement, mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, Elon Musk uh, with the Tesla car, he has just, you know, opened up his patents for uh, everyone to see. He's sharing his knowledge. He, he doesn't keep it a secret. He doesn't want to create competition in his favor. Of course, he also does because he's so fast that he's uh, way ahead of his competitor or has been at least. So sharing knowledge and uh, spreading information about things that will benefit um, the greater society, I think is something really admirable. And uh, more companies should do that. Yeah, definitely. But I was just thinking about lots of people who are, uh, you know, already have wealth personally, whether they are, you know, still in business or private people that are donating money for different things. It's very easy to say, okay, yeah, it's easy for them now that they are loaded with money, they can just start a share or start a gift. But why don't we do that earlier? I mean, generally speaking, uh, people can share, of course, hopefully knowledge and, and, and all that. But when it comes to wealth, it seems like you have to have too much in order to wake up and say, okay, maybe I should give part of this away. Well... I'm not that wealthy myself, so I have no personal experience in this, but I think, I think all of us, not only wealthy people, need yeah. to dig in our pockets and, and spread our wealth today because there's such a, a we're so off balance. Mm. But I do think, you know, we must remember where we come from as societies and the Western society has been built <clears throat> for many, many years now on success equals money. And so it's a huge part of our identity. If you are rich, you are successful. And, uh, I mean, just see how that plays out today. In, in, in the beginning of 2017, we see a new president in America that we have not seen before. There's a shift of values, and, and the world is really, or actually at least the Western world, is being really polarized. We have fractions that do not understand each other. 
And all of that is values-driven, uh, coming from the people who have and the people who have not means. And so I understand that it's not easy. It's not easy for me either to give away money that I feel that I need myself. But it doesn't only have to be money. It can be mm. knowledge and information, access to something, work. I don't know. There's a lot of ways to give back. But eventually, I mean, statistics do tell us that when it comes to a certain level of income, it stops making you happier. It actually does the opposite. The more you make, the more it will stress you. I'm not saying that goes for everyone, but it actually is a statistical fact. So there's a limit to what people need. And when you reach that place, you would probably be happier. If we dream a little bit and say that we assume that all doors are open and that all all resources are available, what do you want to innovate or change? Um, well, to me, the biggest dream that I have is unity, meaning that we can understand each other more than we dis or do not understand each other. That we that we realize we have one world that we are one people, that we become tolerant for each other's differences. So eventually that will lead to the word peace, I guess. Mm. And um, how to innovate or change so that we get more peace, I do think that is about collaboration. Science shows that if you collaborate with someone, you're much more likely to like them and want to say yes to them. So if we can create real collaboration between nations, between groups of people and individuals, that is a very, very good start. So any innovation that would lead to more collaboration, and that means, again, finding a mutual goal, mm. I think would really, um, yeah, make a big shift. So with all resources available, I'm not saying that even requires a lot of money or power. It just needs a mutual set of values that you can agree on. And since we're all human beings, it should be obtainable. I mean, we do not have a mutual external enemy apart from the environment. But there is still, I mean, the environment breaking down. But there are still people who do not believe that is a fact, so we're not there yet. But that mm -hmm. could be something that would unite us as uh, the human race. And there are many other things also, of course, that would unite big parts of us, uh, the societies we live in. Mm. That's the kind of innovations that I really seek out and look for. That inspires me. And if you could give one piece of advice to leaders today, what, what would it be? If you are a leader today, I think uh, if you get the people around you to collaborate within your organization and with uh, the partners you have and the competitors you have, outside of your company, that would probably make you more flexible and adaptable to the, the changes that we see happening. So that is one important factor in my book anyway, that I focus on in my own leadership. And I think also to invite on board young people and not to expect them because they're millennials or this or that generation to revolutionize or innovate your company because they're young, they do have a different mindset and they see the world very differently than we do. But they don't have the experience yet to, to carry out big change. So I think the collaboration between people with experience and young people today 
is maybe the most important thing for the corporate world, how we can combine our efforts and our knowledge and support each other. And that will make real change, I think. Mm. I see many companies, of course, asking for looking for impact change makers, millennials, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what do you think about people who are 40 and above? I mean, do they feel all of a sudden like they are not interesting enough for certain companies today? Or how do we handle that challenge? You say that, of course, cooperation between the two are, is the ideal, but it doesn't reflect when you look at the market today. I don't see that. No, but I think that's shifting. And I think... Uh, in X amount of years, I don't know when, but um, I think that people will work much longer. I think we have to because um, there are fewer younger people to take care of them, more older people. But I think we'll live longer. I mean, my husband's grandmother is 102, and uh, of course she cannot work any longer, but she's very healthy and, and well in her mind as well. And um, if we stop working when we're 60, it means that we might look at 40 years without working, which is just useless. I mean, if we're healthy enough, we we can work. And so I do think that we'll have a society where people will actually work much longer, maybe because we have to and hopefully because we want to. And that maybe that means that when corporations change, many more people will be entrepreneurs later on in their lives because that's when they have the experience and the knowledge. I do think that there will be more collaboration between young people and more experienced people. I don't know what it will look like in the entrepreneurial industry that I'm partly part of, whether young startups will recruit uh, senior staff. But what I do see is that on the advisory boards and on the boards of young startups, you will see people in their 40s and 50s and 60s because the experience we have when we reach a certain age is valuable to people with new ideas and new competencies, of course. So that's the world I think we will see. And, and how do you define that experience? Oh, it's, it's uh, many things. I mean, one thing is the experience of having worked with something maybe thoroughly for many years. You get mm -hmm. a deepened knowledge. Another thing is, of course, if you are a leader, you have worked with uh, mastering leadership for maybe 20 or 30 years, which is something that you just can't read to achieve. You have to experience it and, and learn through mistakes and successes, of course. And also, there is this important thing of remembering where you come from. When you speak with someone older than you, you get an opportunity to learn about the past. And if you don't seek out knowledge about what went wrong or what made successes before your time, you become, I don't know if, you, if this is an English word, but historyless. That means you are not do not know about where you come from. It's what we see today is that people don't believe, no, some people in this world today do not believe that Holocaust existed. While me growing up in the 80s, going to school in the 80s and, and 90s, 
that was part of my education to know about the Second World War and how it impacted our society and how it formed and shaped Europe today. That's, if knowledge like that is lost, we tend to make the same mistakes again. That also goes for business. And that's what people older than me also can contribute with. If you were actually to give advice to yourself 10, 15 years ago, what would it be? I think that would be many things. (laughs) (laughs) It would be very interesting to see if I would follow my own advice. An advice that I still, I did give to myself back then and I'm still working on is to take better care of myself, you know, to get more downtime and sleep enough and, you know, all of that. I think that's really important and something that many of us tend to ignore. But um, it's individual. I mean, one size doesn't fit all. But for me, it's been really important to develop myself while I develop my career. So to grow as a person alongside growing as a career woman has been valuable and important to me. And I think if you care to develop yourself, you will become a better person for the people around you and you become a better leader. You might make better choices to stay humble, of course, without losing yourself. That's not what I mean, but to, yeah, to, to just be open and, and receptive for for the world around you. And sometimes when life is tough, that's not so easy. We tend to close up and become hard to be able to sustain the pressure. But that might be um, good for a period of time when you really do need to toughen up and just pull through, but not for too long a time. I think we need to, again, we people also need to be flexible and adaptive. Mm. So that's what I've learned. And even if I had said it to myself 15 years ago, I don't know if I would have been receptive, but uh, that would have been my advice. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, what do you think is the most important thing now for for each company on on this earth the big question i know yeah well uh, since i live in norway we tend to try now and look for ways to uh, initiate growth and uh, and innovation in in all industries in this country also energy but since we have um, a lot of fossil fuel history in our um, in our country when it comes to um, to what we export. There's a really cool shift going on right now where we stimulate people to become entrepreneurs. And you see that happening all over the world. So that's a really good thing. And, and the people innovating today will come up with different solutions. So I think to innovate and to uh, collaborate so that we don't waste time and money competing with each other in a world that is so rapidly showing signs of poor health environmentally-wise. That is the most important thing, I think, so that we can solve the global challenges together to uh, clean up this planet while we actually manage to sustain a good life for the people living here. What do you think the world needs the most right now altogether? That is a really easy question to answer, actually. Mm. (laughs) We need very wise leaders. Mm. There are not that many leaders 
in this world when you count nations. There's some hundred people that actually lead the nations on this planet. We do have the United Nations and we do have different summits where they meet these leaders and with other leaders as well to talk about how we can move forward together. There is still a lot of politics and yeah, competition and, and, and old kind of things going on. And even though we do see a shift, it's slow. So if I had a magic wand, I would just magically change the attitude to the leaders that would not collaborate and, and share so that they entered a new collaborative mindset. If we got them on board with, uh, with collaboration, and it's not easy, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's necessary. A lot would be uh, happening much quicker. I think we need wise leaders. And um, looking at the events uh, in the U.S., that can mean a lot of things. Of course, collaboration between leaders, but also when it comes to collaboration between genders and between various groups of society, women and uh, all groups in our society that need to, to be heard, that we speak up. And I think that's probably one of the most important things right now, that um, that we speak up and that we unite our uh, our forces to work for the values that we believe that society should be built upon. And for my personal part, that means that I engage in in gender equality and uh, that that focus will differ from country to country because all nations are different when it comes to where they are in that aspect. But in Norway, uh, we have come a far way. I think we're positioned as number three in the world right now behind Finland and Iceland. But still, there's very, very few women who own the corporations and enterprises in Norway. It's mostly men. So uh, in 2017, I will focus on and champion for more women becoming entrepreneurs and investors, actually. So that's one of my big focus areas for this year. Anniken, thank you so very much for this time, sharing your thoughts and ideas. That's really valuable. These are really interesting questions, Vesna. They are mm-hmm. personal, they're mm-hmm. philosophical, they are practical and business-wise. So I really, I think this is the kind of questions that we need mm-hmm. to debate mm-hmm. today. We need the depth mm-hmm. and the human experience. If people want to find out more about your work, can they head to the website? Yes, it's okay. uh, 657.no. I think Facebook actually would be the the best way to look into our everyday life, and that's uh, 657 on Facebook. Also, um, if you Google my name, you can contact me directly if you want to have a talk, and I'm open for that. It's always interesting to get to know people with other perspectives. So I welcome that, and thank you for having me, Lesna. It's been <laughs> lovely speaking with you. Thank you very much, Anniken. Thank you, and thank you all for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.